Hey everyone, welcome back. So for today's episode, we are bringing to you a conversation that we had with Kayla Mock, who was formerly incarcerated at Women's Huron Valley Correctional Facility. She is joining us today to share her story while also advocating for and uplifting other individuals who have been impacted by the system. It was such a pleasure to speak with her, so let's just get right into this. I'm Bhavna. And I'm Vendela. And this is Women's Health Incarcerated. Hey, Kayla, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, How are you? How are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm doing okay. What about you, Vanilla? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well, too. Awesome. Um, So, Kayla, why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about what you've been up to? I know it's been a really crazy year with the pandemic. How have you been holding up with all of that going on? Um, Things in my life have actually been going really well. Um, I am a waitress, so I was out of work for a while, but I found other opportunities working at a grocery store and gas station. So just been trying to get through, looking forward to getting back to work. Yeah. Got in a great relationship since the coronavirus. That's so awesome. Um, it's really great to hear that you are doing so well, given everything that's been happening, um, Mm -hmm. right now. So when we first talked, I know that we touched about your experience being incarcerated, but before we kind of delve more deeply into that, uh, I was hoping you can give us a little bit of context on what your life was like prior to being incarcerated. So I started using drugs and alcohol when I was around 14. Uh, My life was chaos. All I cared about was partying and getting high. I had my first daughter in 2011, and Mm -hmm. she was removed from my care a couple months later for my drug use. Tried getting back on track for a while, and I got pregnant with my second daughter. When I had her, I lost her out of my care because of my drug use. They both went to my mom's. And at that point, well, I tried to get it together. I thought that as long as I was only drinking and not using drugs, that I would be okay Mm -hmm. until I was involved in the drinking and driving accident that led me to prison. I lost my boyfriend at the time and the father of my kids. Um, I just really, I didn't know what to do from that point. Just basically trying to survive at that point, but I couldn't stop drinking. So that was when I really um, started to see that I had a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, I ended up pregnant again with my third daughter. And so I was pregnant, um, looking at prison time, and I didn't really see many options. So I ended up entering the Teen Challenge program. Hmm. There is where I really started my journey of recovery, um, bettering my life. I was there for 11 months until I went to prison. Mm -hmm. So basically just my life before prison was centered around partying and drugs and alcohol. I was very selfish with my choices at the time. Thank you for sharing that with us. Can you tell us a little bit more about what this Teen Challenge program was? Teen Challenge is a, they call it 
a 13-month Christian discipleship program Mm -hmm. for men and women over 18 with life-controlling issues, such as any kind of addiction, gambling addiction, sex addiction. When I talk about it, I just call it like a Christian recovery program. (laughs) (laughs) So um, pretty strict. Um, Their curriculum is all Mm Bible-based. It worked for me. Um, I had never had any interest in any kind of religion before and it Mm. started me off at um to be able to have a higher power and be able to turn things over to a higher power and it really helped me to get through at that time Hmm. that's really interesting i've actually never heard of this program before and i know that you had said that you weren't really religious prior to entering this program so i'm really curious how did you end up hearing about it so when I had my accident, um, I ended up also homeless. Mm-hmm. A coworker of mine offered me to stay at her house. She had an extra bedroom. Well, this coworker of mine was from New Jersey. She had come to this particular teen challenge in Michigan because it was for pregnant women. Hmm. And it was one of the only or the only program where you could go pregnant and keep your baby with you. So people were coming from Florida, Wisconsin, all over the place for this program. And it was literally like a mile from my house. (sighs) And I found out about it through my coworker from New Jersey. (laughs) So when I was staying with her, I ended up pregnant. And I knew her whole story. Like you couldn't even go there if you were pregnant. And I end up pregnant, Mm -hmm. have this connection to an opportunity to go into this program. And I just had to take it because that was literally my rock bottom. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it's interesting that no other program allowed you to go if you were pregnant. Um, and I'm glad that you happened upon one that did. Yeah. Can you walk us through like what your experience was like when you were at the program and kind of share a bit of like, you know, the routine you had while you were there? Um, at Teen Challenge, we had it was like 7 a.m. wake up, 8 a.m. Bible circle or something like that. <laughs> and like you had a set schedule for the whole day. But mm-hmm. I also think that aspect is very important to recovery. And I see why that was a system there. Right. Because it's so um, Christian based, you could only read certain books. Like we didn't watch TV. Um, You had to have permission to talk to certain people. Mm -hmm. So like I have this really close family friend. He's like a father figure to me. I've known him my whole life and they wouldn't let me talk to him because he wasn't like my real dad. So yeah, things like that, like who you could talk to, that you know, certain activities you could gauge in and what kind of schedule you have. That's pretty intense, especially the restrictions on who you could see or not, because I'd imagine that must be pretty difficult to be separated from, you know, certain support systems that you had outside of this institution. So I know that this program was meant for those struggling with addictions like gambling and alcohol and all these things that you had mentioned earlier, but were they offering any specific programming to deal with that? Like, for example, therapy or other programming or resources that they were giving you guys to help with addiction? Um, no. Uh, I mean, it was all like Bible, Bible, Bible. I mean, honestly, um, they didn't allow people to be on their psychiatric meds. Oh, wow. It's basically just centered around leaning on God. 
There are some real life applications though that could have helped um, and been implemented, especially for like a lot of these, I mean, we included a lot of us had nothing. Mm -hmm. Like all we had known was addiction. So like other life skills, you know, would have been beneficial. Right. Um, It does help people stay off of drugs though. Mm -hmm. So, so what you're saying is that they really, you know, emphasized religion as a way to overcome substance use issues and didn't necessarily teach a lot of life skills. So how did that look once you left the program? Like, how did you continue maintaining your mindset and staying sober when you entered back into society? Um, I didn't really experience that because I went straight from there to prison. So I didn't have like a, a gap. But for me, it worked extremely well for me because I had already been living in kind of an institutionalized environment. Mm -hmm. So it helped me a lot more than if I would have still been like out. I don't know what I would have been doing, honestly, if I had been out on the streets or whatever you want to call it before prison. It gave me the opportunity to sit down and get sober and focus on, um, well, really focused a lot on my baby. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you almost transitioned, like you were saying, from one institutionalized environment to another. Yeah. Do you feel like if you had gone straight into prison without having gone through this Teen Challenge program, your journey to getting sober and staying sober would have been very different? Yes, absolutely. And why is that? Well, when I went into Teen Challenge, that was when I made the decision to change. Okay. So if I wouldn't have done that, I think I would have just continued on and I never would have made that decision to change or to accept that I had a problem. Mm-hmm. Going there was like my turning point. So my mindset would have been a lot different as far as, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to think about, um, how different things would have been if I wouldn't have gone into teen challenge. I'm super, super grateful. I did. Mm -hmm. It just gave me some time to sit down and uh, get myself together before this huge life changing event Mm -hmm. of going to prison. Like I would have just kept living my life and then gone to prison. Like instead I actually took steps to change and work on myself before. So when I got there, I was already in that mode of moving forward and growing and learning. And so it changed my experience there. If I would have just gone from not from Teen Challenge, then I probably would have still been trying to get high and stuff in there, to be honest. Hmm. I see. So I know we talked extensively about substance use programming prior to getting incarcerated with the Teen Challenge program. So... I was wondering if you could talk more about what substance use programming was like while you were in prison, if at all there was any. So there was AA and NA available, which was like once a week. And AA is Alcoholics Anonymous and NA is Narcotics Anonymous, right? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, They had a couple different treatment programs available. They had a residential substance abuse treatment, which was a unit that you live in and receive like kind of like I would say a rehab. You live in the unit. You have different classes in the unit geared towards recovery. That was not available 
they had shut that program down for a while while I was there. They were getting so backed up because they had so many people um, needing to take certain classes because they also had an um, advanced substance abuse treatment or ASAP. They had so many people needing to take the class um, to be able to be released. Like it was a guideline of their parole that they had to shut down the residential one to make room for these other classes basically to get people out the door, which I've never really put these two and two together. So basically they reduced the amount of resources available in order to get more people through the class to get them out the door. Hmm. So it sounds like prison was a lot less structured with minimal guidance, even though it was still an extremely controlling environment. But it also sounds like the Teen Challenge program was controlling to some extent as well. So why do you think a program like Teen Challenge was more conducive to actually helping you cope with addiction better than prison? Prison is more of a punishment. It's not an environment that encourages people to heal and grow. Right. Mm-hmm. A huge part of recovery is healing from the past. Um, you go to prison, you get treated as a number or as less than a person, and you're just trying to survive. It doesn't make it as easy to heal from things when you're just struggling to survive. Whereas Teen Challenge, I had a lot more peace there. You know, I my schedule was <laughs> written out for me. Um, I was able to start leaning on a higher power. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew I was headed in the right direction. So um, I think that is the difference. I had begun to heal while I was in Teen Challenge. And that's what helped me a lot when I got into prison to be able to focus on myself and grow. A lot of people aren't given that opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot of people in prison are there on addiction related crimes. So I think a lot more needs to be done before people end up in prison, too. It needs to be taken more seriously. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, there's a huge correlation with that. Yeah. And I think it's also very interesting to think about what you were saying earlier, how the prison stopped existing programming for the sake of opening up space to fulfill this quote-unquote checkbox of, oh, let's put you through this class because it's a necessary guideline for your parole. Yeah, And to also highlight that the class that they were offering that was required was so overcrowded, which to me is very indicative of how many people were struggling with substance use in the first place. And to also deny them resources, I I think that speaks a lot to, and exactly what you were saying, prison is punitive, not rehabilitative. And there absolutely needs to be more programming available in communities outside of prison. Because it seems to me that any healing and growth that people are able to come across or come to while incarcerated is really because of their own individual effort, not because of the system in any way. Which leads me to my question. Did you feel that prison was a setback in your growth, especially after coming from Teen Challenge, which sounded like it was a space that was really helpful for you in your growth and shift in mindset? Did you feel like it was suddenly some sort of setback for you? I never really thought about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, 
for me personally, I don't feel like it was a setback. Uh-huh. I got there and I, I don't know. I, I'm just kind of a busy person. I got there. I got job right away. I looked into all the classes I could take. I'm one of those people who sit and read all the pamphlets. Like, <laughs> like my bunkie's talking about why are you reading that? Well, I like to know what's going on, you know. Yeah. So I tried to jump in and keep myself busy and productive as I could. And I mean, in every situation, you really have to go for it yourself regardless of the environment you're in. A huge part of it is mindset. So it's hard to say that, oh, the prison's not doing good enough or Teen Challenge didn't do good enough because, um, or they did or they did or they didn't because it's the it's based off the person and what they're willing to accomplish at the same time. Hmm. So in your opinion, how much of the responsibility of recovering falls on the individual versus on the external support that they have around them? I don't know. Um, I don't think enough is done in, like, the court system. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, too, um, are there on probation violations because they couldn't finish their probation. Right. Um, It just depends on how much, like, the court here where I live, um, they they have a specialty sobriety court and it's having great success. And I didn't even know that it wasn't something that was widely done. Um, it's one of the first courts in Michigan that's doing this. Oh, wow. And um, if that was more mandatory in the probation system, then it would make it less of people just being shipped off to prison just because... They keep violating. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good to hear that a court like that exists. And I really hope that it becomes more widespread. Um, And in general, I feel like it's really helpful to hear your perspective on this idea of responsibility that our society seems to place, you know, a lot of emphasis on, because it's something that I myself have been reflecting on a lot in terms of how people are able to push themselves through spaces or situations that, you know, aren't really conducive to growth. And it does sound like your mindset itself plays a huge role in terms of how you utilize the programs and resources available to you, Mm -hmm. but also having that option to use these resources is extremely important. And it sounds like from what you've been talking about, um, making that decision to want to heal is really influenced by what is around to support you through that healing and growing process. So I know we've been talking a lot about prison as this sort of overarching system and the kinds of programming that it does, or should I say, does not offer. But um, I'm also curious, given the fact that there is little transparency regarding what happens behind those walls, like what the daily experience is like for incarcerated individuals, can you walk us through what a typical day in prison was like for you? So throughout my time there, um, my routine and what I did changed. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to think of what 
I did always. And I definitely always had my instant coffee in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) That was the first thing that popped into my head. Yeah. And then a lot of the times I would just, I'd get up. I was thinking about too, the first thing I would do is get up and go to the bathroom brush my teeth and stuff and it was a shared bathroom with 100 women so we had like four or five sinks so oh, i just wow. remember <laughs> being in the bathroom in the morning waiting for a sink or whatever and just like not wanting anyone to talk to me because i didn't brush my teeth yeah. so that was like every morning boom you know did you wake up i'd have my coffee and um if i didn't work normally i would just hang out i had a tv in my room so I hung out in my room, watched TV, or like a lot, a lot of my days off, I'd clean the cell. I made a lot of friends in there. Um, I still talked to a lot of people that I was in there with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd spend time hanging out with friends. We'd cook up food or like play games or just hang out and talk. Yeah. Um, that really helped me get through a lot, um, the camaraderie mm-hmm. in there. So yeah, I just... I. We had uh, like a gym, so I would go. It was really like the first year I was going and working out a lot. Then I kind of <laughs> got lazy with it. But plus, I had more classes and more things going on too. So yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really grateful at this time of the year because in the winter, now that I'm out, because in the winter in there, like you got to walk everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the chow hall for my unit was like a quarter mile like half mile one way so like if it was freezing cold you'd be walking anywhere anywhere you go in there you're walking to another building when i describe it to people a lot of people picture like one massive building that you just go from rooms to rooms but it's not like that all it's like separate campus Mm. for all so anywhere you're going you're walking despite the weather Mm -hmm. so you got to plan for that and i think when I got out, when I got out, I didn't have a driver's license. So I had to walk places. But my mindset was, well, I mean, at least I can choose where I'm walking. Like I've already been walking around for three years now, like what's walking to work, at least I'm free a little bit. Like that was one of the most profound things to me when I got out that I could just go for a walk, (laughs) like wherever I wanted. Mm -hmm. That's like one of the most, it's like the epitome of freedom almost. Like, because when you're there, you can't just go for a walk whenever you want. They give you an itinerary that says you can go these places at these times. So, yeah, um, I hope that kind of helps you get a picture. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the fact that you are considering being able to walk wherever you want as the epitome of freedom really just speaks to exactly the kind of controlling environment you were in when you were in prison. So just to transition a little more towards your experience re-entering society after prison, um, can you talk a little bit more about what that re-entry process was like once you were released? So when I was released, I um, had to go for community placement Mm -hmm. because I didn't have anywhere to go um, or anyone to stay with. Mm -hmm. So along with community placement, I was assigned um, an MPRI parole. So it's a specialized parole that's supposed to provide you with more resources 
for someone who's homeless, basically, for example. So um, when I was getting out, my uncle found a homeless shelter for me to go to. He went to the homeless shelters in Lansing so and found the best one for me to go to. So my uncle found the placement for me at the homeless shelter. Um, I got out. Pretty much all they provided me with was like a bus pass. Um, they told me, oh, this um, agency will be contacting you to help you with, you know, finding resources and stuff. Um, I didn't even realize till months later that they had never contacted me hmm. because I already knew the resources, thankfully. <laughs> so I was already on my way. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, these people are supposed to be calling me to help, like getting a hold of me to help me do this stuff. And they never even called. So that was supposed to be a part of my special MPRI parole. Mm-hmm. So I was staying at the homeless shelter for about a week. A friend of mine let me stay with her. After that, um, I had gotten my old waitressing job back. So my friend started let, let me stay on her couch for a couple months. And I was just saving up money um, until I got my own apartment. Um, I also had gotten, in the meantime, a job at the gas station. So I got my old waitressing job back. I got a job at the gas station. And within a couple months, I had my own apartment. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. And again, it sounds like a lot of that was definitely you taking the initiative to, you know, educate yourself on what resources are out there and leaning more on your personal connections in your, you know, personal community, rather than just like the system providing you any sort of assistance. Yeah, I mean, it's out there. Like, you really just have to go for it and make calls. And I have was lucky in the regard to that. Like, I already had the previous job. I got mm-hmm. that job back. And um, the job at the gas station, my friend who let me stay with her got me that job. She worked there, too. So, I mean, and that's all about um, has to do networking, too. And who do you know that can help you? I mean, even meeting you guys, we networked through Mary, you know, and so it's been becoming more clear to me how important that really is. Yeah, for sure. Now, I wanted to ask you about your daughters, and I know this might be incredibly difficult to talk about, so definitely feel free to stop us at any point in time. Um, So earlier you had mentioned having to leave your daughters behind because of the substance use. Can you speak a little bit more about what it was like interacting with Child Protective Services at that time? So my daughters were put in my mom's care. So they weren't in, well, technically she was their foster parent. So that made it easier for me to, mainly my older daughter, because I went to Teen Challenge like four months after my middle daughter was born. Mm-hmm. So the main interaction I had with CPS and going through the process was with my oldest daughter. They definitely gave us a lot of chances. We were given resources as far as classes and we got put in a specialty court to work towards getting our kids back, but we got kicked out of the specialty court because we weren't doing what we were supposed to do. We would like do good for a little while, then we'd like have a mess up. 
And then it'd be like starting all over. Like I was um, dealing with CPS for two years. Um, but it was, it, the fault lied with myself. I just kept making bad choices. They gave me plenty of opportunities to get it together. So um, that was bad decisions and bad choices on my part. Okay. But I kind of want to ask you, do you think it wasn't just, you know, bad decisions on your part, but also an additional component of the resources that you had? Like, do you feel that at that time, if there had been more programming available to you, even outside of CPS, do you think that that would have helped at all or made any kind of difference? I don't because I wasn't ready to and willing to admit that I had a problem. Hmm. So I didn't really see anything wrong with what I was doing. So it wouldn't have really mattered. Um, even I lost my kid to CPS and I still kind of admit that I had a, pro- a life controlling problem. It makes you realize the state of mind that um, I was in um, and how focused my life was. It, I mean, it just, it makes it clear how much of a problem it really was now. Um, so that's, that's the first step. That, that's fair. Yeah. Thank you for that. If you're comfortable, um, can you also talk a little bit more about what that experience was like to be separated from your daughters? Um, I mean, it was quite heartbreaking. I remember when I first got involved with CPS, I was just thinking, um, you know, they want me to get sober, but they've taken away my daughter, which completely devastated me. Like, it's so crazy because you sit there and you think, oh, why wouldn't you want to get sober from that? But I didn't know any other way how to cope with my emotions. Mm-hmm. And it completely devastated me. So what was I going to turn to was continuing to use drugs and alcohol. And I think that was, you know, where the problem was. And how has the process been like to be reunited with them after getting released from prison? So my two oldest daughters were adopted by my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, she has not um, allowed me to have much contact with them. I think I've only seen them twice now in, mm-hmm. in three years. Wow. Part of it has to do with COVID, I guess, now. It has been a part of it. Um, so there's nothing I can really do because my parental rights were terminated. Mm-hmm. Like she's legally their mother now. I can't really do much about that. So um, I had to really turn that over to my higher power um, and just know that one day I'll be back in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, because that was some that's something that's been really hard. But I have I can't allow it to. Um, you know, stop my growth or stop me from moving forward. Yeah. So um, I've just kind of had to accept it and know that I will have the opportunity to be in, back in their lives one day. And at least like I have it together now and I can, I can be um, there for them as a mother or as a friend, as a sister. I don't even at this point in my life, you know, it doesn't even matter to me. However, I can be there for them. I can be there. So, um, that gives me a lot of peace. And also, um, my, my youngest daughter, who I had when I was in Teen Challenge, her dad got full custody 
or I signed over full custody when I went to prison. Mm-hmm. So when I got out, um, I was hoping that he would just allow me to see her. Um, it did not happen like that. He mm-hmm. would not allow me to see her or talk to her. Um, he wanted her to call me Kayla instead of mom. <laughs> like He just made it very difficult. Mm-hmm. So I went to the courts and I had to file a petition for parenting time. And I got it. It started off with like supervised visits and then I had to do, I got like a couple unsupervised a week and then I started getting overnight visits. And um, I'm at the point now where I've got two overnights a week plus holidays. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically the next step is for me to get any more time is to go for 50-50 custody or for full custody, whichever I decide if I want to. It's a whole process, but, um, so that's the next step that I'm planning is to go for 50, 50 custody. Yeah. I think that I will get it. Mm -hmm. Um, I was basically encouraged by the court that if I wanted more time, this is what I need to do. I don't know. I, I, I feel confident now. I actually just got my license back a couple months ago. Congrats. As I shared with you guys, my accident was um, drinking, driving, causing death. And so I had re- had revoked. My license was revoked. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, I thought I'll never get it back again. I didn't know how it worked. <laughs> but I just got it back a couple months ago. So I just recently in the last couple months, I've really felt like I've been in the position to get 50-50 custody confidently. Mm-hmm. So that's my next step. Um, not gonna lie, I've been procrastinating it just because the courts just suck to deal with excuses, you know, but (laughs) that is what I truly want. And I'm just, that helps me too with not being in my other daughter's lives Mm -hmm. because at least I have this shot to do it right or, you know, whatever, be in her life and be her mom. Yeah. Yeah. That's really encouraging to hear and it's it's actually it's really empowering to hear that despite the fact that you know you can't even see your older daughters and you have very limited ability to see your younger daughter you still have so much hope it seems like it seems like you just have a lot of hope and confidence that at some point things will turn around and that's just really awesome to hear okay so bobs did you have any other follow-ups no i think i'm good Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Kayla. But before we let you go, we're just going to finish off with some fun little icebreaker questions so everyone can get to know you a little bit better. So let's get into it. Okay, so the first question we have for you is, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? It would be um, time travel. Yeah. So I could go back. I love history. Mm-hmm. So, so I could go back and see different times. <laughs> yeah, that would be so cool. Uh, what time would you want to go back to? Um, The 60s would be the first one. <laughs> yeah. The 60s and 70s. <laughs> That's an interesting time. Yeah. And then probably, then probably like, medieval England or something <laughs> wow cool I think I would want to go back to like 
the 20s or the 30s. They always talk about the roaring 20s. And I've always wanted to just know what that's like yeah. in America. Um, but okay, so for number two, our question is, what does your favorite meal look like? My favorite meal is steak and mashed potatoes, mm-hmm. which was what I planned and had at my first for my first meal when I got out. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that sounds really, really good. And I'm really glad that you got to have it when you came back home. Um, So for a very last question, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? So um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the book, The Four Agreements. No, I don't think I have, actually. Yeah, me neither. It's really amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a self-help book, I guess you'd call it, but... One of the four agreements in there is not to take anything personally. Yeah. And that has like been huge for me because once you stop taking things personally, not a lot bothers you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that's probably one of the best pieces of advice I've ever, I've ever gotten. I've gotten a lot though. I've had, I have a lot of awesome support people around me. Yeah. Um, attend a lot of AA meetings, mm-hmm. Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, and that is where I've gotten so that's helped me out the most of my life. Yeah, and I feel like I'm going to check that book out too at some point. <laughs> yeah, it changed. I'm not into self-help books, mm-hmm. but I actually read that when I was in prison, and it changed my whole perspective on life. <laughs> like, it was it was profound. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll definitely add it to my list then. I feel like I actually do enjoy self-help books. I don't really know why. I just love that they provide, you know, all these really cool, like, anecdotes and phrases or terms that you can really easily remember and utilize when you're thinking about, you know, like, your own growth and your own way of living life. So I like that. I think I think I'll think i add it to my list. All yeah, right. me too. <laughs> um, Kayla, thank you so, so much for coming on today's episode. We had such a great conversation with you, and we wish you all the best. Thank you, guys. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Join us next time to discuss how LGBTQI individuals experience the criminal legal system. And also, we are so excited to announce the launch of Wink's blog. This is a space for system-impacted and non-impacted individuals and activists to investigate issues related to health and gender in the incarceration system. Through diverse mediums, such as creative artwork or poetry, research or news articles, op-eds, and any other written piece of work. Submissions are accepted on a rolling basis, and for more information, as well as the link to submit, please go check out our website. Yes, so definitely be sure to check that out. And we'll chat with you in two weeks. Until then. Women's Health Incarcerated can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. To view our transcripts, learn more information about the intersection between the incarceration system and healthcare, or find different ways that you could get involved, please visit www.winkthemovement.org. That's www.whincthemovement.org. Uh.